the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 510 for Sunday, July 13th, 2014. folks and welcome to the mac observers mac geek have the show where you send in questions tips and cool stuff found we answer your questions we share your tips we share some cool stuff found occasionally we've got another one of those shows coming up soon by the way folks and all together we try to learn at least one new thing one group of 10 new things each time we get together this episode is sponsored by barebones uh, software at barebones.com the makers of BB Edit and Yojimbo. We'll talk a little bit more about that during the show. This episode is also sponsored by Harry's, uh, helping keep your favorite geeks cleanly shorn. And you can too. And you can get uh, five bucks off at harrys.com uh, on your first order by using coupon code MGG. We'll talk a little bit more about that during the show too. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, where the air is poisoned with allergies this morning, I'm Dave Hamilton. <laughs> and here in uh equally poisoned with pollen and all sorts of whatnot because yeah my eyes are watering a bit here and all that though my voice isn't yeah your voice is doing all right it's good compared to yours yeah um, here in fairfield connecticut this is john f Braun. it's good to, it's good to talk to you john i was going to say it's good to see you but i i can't see you but uh but it's good to talk to you it, you know um I, it's it's strange because I had a gig Friday night and my voice was fine all day yesterday. And then this morning I woke up with this, but we spent a lot of time kayaking and all that yesterday. And I probably, and I didn't shower after we kayaked, which means I probably went to sleep with all that pollen and, and stuff all over me. So, uh, so there you go. Yeah. That's, that's the issue, I guess. Dave, um, I got a new toy. What, what toy did you get? Go. I got to tell you. All right. So number one, I switched my setup here. Uh, so, so, you know, I told you about the headphones and uh, my conclusion is that the, uh, the Bluetooth connection is, uh, the, not the right way to go, at least during the podcast. That may or may not be true. And I'll tell you about my story later, but, but, but keep going. Yes. So I'm wired now, but the okay. new thing that I got, Wait, there, t- so, which um, headphones were those, by the way, just to, just to rehash that. Are they the S, uh, S 400 BTs or whatever. Is that right? Right, right. They're a Bluetooth. Yeah, the synchros um, from JBL. Yeah. Right. But they also have a, uh, fortunately, um, they also have a wired provision and that they come with a wire that is a, uh, I think it's a, a two and a half or three and a half inch uh, on one. And then it plugs into the headphones on a two and a half millimeter plug, I think. Okay. But you can run them in wired mode um, or Bluetooth mode. Sure. You, know, you can do either one. Sure. And, uh, and they sound great. Yep. So uh, in wired mode as well. But the new thing I got, Dave, so, um, you know, I'm yeah, those are great sounding headphones. They are. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. So, so I got, um, so one part of my system was starting to annoy me here and that is the, uh, the keyboard on my uh, Mac mini. Oh yeah. So what I had was the old Apple keyboard and actually it was one that had uh, succumbed to a, uh, liquid, uh, spill event. Um, uh, a refreshing beverage, which, sure. uh, you know, anything like that, that has a uh, sugar in it, uh, or, well, it's essentially sugar. Right. Um, and some of the keys were sticking and I could never get them unstuck, you know, even though I tried to save it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get a, another keyboard here. And so what I got, Dave, was one that I saw a number of years ago. And uh, the, the main feature of it 
isn't really what drew me to it, but just because it's a nice keyboard overall. And uh, you may have seen it at, at a Macworld a couple of years ago, but it's from Verbatim. Like, okay. Hmm? Verbatim. And it's their speaker keyboard for Mac. Okay. The thing that I like about it. So what, what it has in it is two speakers. So it, you play, uh-huh. it's USB, it's wired, and it has speakers in it. Though I, I don't think I'm ever going to use it for that. But the, the thing I like about it is that it's a, you know, a full-size keyboard, sculpted keys. It has a backlight. And that's pretty darn cool. That is cool. Kind of like I'm used to on the on the the MacBook Pro, right, right. Um, and you know, I I, I just like this type of keyboard, uh, and it has all of the keys except for one. So I'll throw in a little tip here. So the thing is, even though it does have an eject key on it, for whatever reason, it isn't mapping correctly. You know, and now why why would you want that? And the reason I would want that, Dave, is what I do on my desktop machine. If I want to shut it down quickly, yeah, there is a keyboard shortcut where you can say Control Eject, and if you hold down Control Eject. It'll bring up a dialogue that says, hey, John, or, you know, whoever you are. Sure. Uh, you want to restart, sleep, cancel, or shut down the machine. And then I'll hit S, and that sleeps your machine. So that's a quick way to sleep a desktop machine. For whatever reason, that wasn't working. But I did a quick search, and I found there was a way to get around that, Dave. Um, if you do control, or if you hold down the F12 key for a couple of seconds, that's the equivalent of hitting the eject key. So uh, the same thing happened. No kidding. I still don't know what it should map. I mean, it has an eject symbol on it, but I don't, it's mapping to a different code or something like that. So, uh, and it was only like 18 bucks. I mean, you know, it's, a, it, it, as far as I could tell, it hasn't fallen apart. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty high quality keyboard for, uh, for the money. Interesting. Definitely nicer than the Apple one. You know, it has a tilt, you know, that, that it's just, cause I was looking for keyboards and there's so many that have the chiclet keys, which just, just drive me insane. Like on some of the latest Apple keyboards, I, I just can't type on those. Right. I need sculpted keys and, you know, not like the old IBM Battleship keyboard, you know, the clicky one. But uh, Yeah, well, that, so that was my concern. When you said you had a new keyboard, I thought, uh-oh, if this thing's a clicky keyboard, he's going to have to get rid of it because we'll hear it when you're typing during the show. Oh, I hate doing podcasts because it happens. Occasionally, you know, I'll do a podcast with somebody else or we'll have a guest or whatever that has a clicky keyboard. And, and, okay. uh, and well, here we go. I am now. Yeah, we can hear it. So, so. you got to be careful. Yeah, I'll be I'll be careful. I'll, I'll try to type quietly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure about your headphone Bluetooth being the thing that was causing the other clicking issue that we were hearing during the show. I, I have a feeling that was on this end, but I still don't know. We'll know as this show progresses, as this episode progresses. Um I've been working with the folks at Rogue Amoeba that make Audio Hijack, which is what we use to, to record the show, and also NiceCast, which is what we use to stream the show to the folks uh, that, that uh, join us in the chat room at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. And using the same audio hardware on a slight, an admittedly slightly newer Mac, right? This The one that we have in the studio here is this older 2007 iMac uh, with an SSD in it. Actually, and I moved the, uh, I put a different SSD and I put the Samsung uh, 840 Evo in this week um, f- during this process that I will describe. But, um, and I've been working with them and they said they weren't able to reproduce this clicky thing. Now, they don't have exactly the same setup I have. They aren't doing quite the same things, but it got me to thinking, okay, uh, it hit me that the OS install that was on this Mac, John, had been upgraded from an OS install that dates back at least to the PowerPC iMac that I used to have in the studio here 
um, and possibly back to the dual, uh, the mirrored drive door G4 that uh, I was running, you know, nine plus 10 years ago uh, that we originally started uh, the podcast on. So I thought, yeah, it's time for a clean install. And I learned something during this clean install. So I did a clean install on this new, uh, it's a 250 gig uh, Samsung 840 Evo SSD. <laughs> this thing rocks. It's super fast. Um, but I did a new clean install on that. And then I took the old drive and put it in uh, an external enclosure and figured I would migration assistant, the user data over and keep the OS install. Well, I did it twice and migration assistant. And the reason I did it twice is because migration assistant uh, both times it. And I, I always, I always thought this was not the case and maybe in the past it wasn't. And it has changed, John, you can correct me here. But um, the 840, uh, sorry, now I'm getting confused. Not the 840 Evo. The 840 Evo did just fine. Migration Assistant um, copied over system level drivers from the old installation. Mm. Uh, specifically the driver for the sound card and also the driver that I um, have for the fan control and stuff on this. Third party drivers. So I know it's not getting them as part of, you know, Apple's install or whatever. And I thought migration assistant would not do that. And I even unchecked the box that said, copy other files. You know, you've got the, the, I have, there's four user accounts on this thing, right? And I checked, I made sure all four of those were checked and then applications was checked, but nothing else. And, um, and yet it still copied those over. And, uh, and I did it twice just to make sure I, you know, didn't do it wrong. But, uh, so I, I am running on a new install here with the drivers, all the drivers, including any cruft that I've forgotten about uh, having been copied over because I just, I didn't have time between when I started this project on Friday afternoon and today to rebuild my user account to the point where we could do this. But um, it's, it didn't matter that I still had the problem. I would, I could still make it click if I, if I pegged the CPU while I was recording, I did a bunch of testing and, uh, and I was even streaming to the room. So if somebody was listening, you would have heard all kinds of weird uh, random things from me this, this weekend, but then it hit me. Um, the issue is with, uh, contention on the audio chain, uh, specifically out via USB. We've got this Tascam US 1641, uh, 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 audio device that we use and the Mavericks drivers for it a little bit weird because Mavericks audio got a little bit weird. You, they force everybody to go through core audio and, and, so I started messing around with it more once I had done this system rebuild. And what I decided was I had, um, this is going to get a little geeky. I apologize for my voice, but hopefully it gets better uh, as the Advil and Sudafed kick in and the AC drives me out. But uh, I had, I was using this as the main audio output, right? And Skype would go to that and, and um, Yojimbo would go to that. And then I would capture those with audio hijack and route them the way I wanted and routing them included going out through different channels of this thing. And it hit me, you know, I don't have to have this as the main audio out. I could point Skype and Yojimbo to something else. I'm hijacking it anyway. It shouldn't make a difference, but maybe in the, in the grand scheme of things, it does the fact that I'm going to this and then going to this again, uh, at least from a driver level. I don't know if it actually makes it out via hardware when you hijack something. I, I don't know enough about core audio to, to tell you that. So I pointed everything back to built-in audio 
And then the only stuff that's going through the, the USB are things that I'm, I'm manually kind of directing there with Audio Hijack Pro. And thus far, it seems much better. I've heard like one little click when I, when I did something on this end while you were talking, John, but, but so far, way, way better. Uh, so we'll see if that was part of the issue. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating because this setup used to work. Thank you, Mavericks. Thank you, Apple, for your sandboxing requirements. And, but, but, and, and a serious thank you to the folks at Rogue Amoeba who have spent far more time than they ever should have um, working with me and troubleshooting this. And, and I mean, we've all learned a lot. Hopefully they've learned something that's helpful, not just for, for me, but, but for their customers. But, um, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's a constant battle that they're fighting, too, because they've got to you know, figure out what's going on with Mavericks and, and make their software work right. And, and some of the stuff that we've gone through, like that devil warble and stuff from, from John in the past was, was uh, kind of a half and half thing between our setup here and, and something they were doing to compensate for that. And they fixed that, which is good. So, so I don't know if it was your headphones or not, John. We'll find out. Or maybe we won't find out because we changed both. We did not honor the troubleshooting process. We changed two variables uh, more than yeah. two at once. Well, but. I changed something because I was definitely, I mean, right now I'm plugged into the board, so I hear myself immediately. Uh, last week I was, I changed my output channel to Bluetooth headphones. So I changed something on my end. Oh, right. Yeah, it's important to hear yourself. Uh, I actually hear myself on a delay because of the way I route the audio. Uh, it's my choice. I like to hear the end result as opposed to the signal in. I want to hear what, what they used to call the, the third the third head uh, in a reel to reel recording deck situation, but I want to hear what's going to tape uh, just in case there's something wonky going on. And that means that I hear myself on probably a 20 to 30 millisecond delay, but I've I've gotten used to it over the years. It doesn't bother me anymore. So, you know, right. All sorts of changes. I know it's crazy, John. It's crazy. Uh, It's what we, you know, that's the, that's the thing is um is you know is we we mess with stuff yeah, yeah. and i i've been I, I can type quietly i was kind of going overboard before okay like that's good he's like yeah, no, purposefully but but i can type quietly it sounds fine i i i could tell you were typing and then i could tell you got quieter and it was fine so anyway that's um that's where we're at with that the folks at bare bones let's talk about them because they're awesome folks too uh they, um, they make BB edit. They make yo Jimbo. They've been making BB edit for over 25 years. Um, and, and, and there's a good reason that they're still making it and that it's still their flagship product. And they're still able to, uh, run a business with this at their core. And it's because BB edit is the best text editor you will ever use. And I know that sounds strange in today's world of all graphic touch interfaces and all that stuff. But the reality is text is a huge part of what we do, especially anybody that creates anything and writes anything you might, but even, but even that, you know, we write emails all the time. Sometimes I put stuff in an email and I, I have, I have a list or I, I'm writing an article and I want to know how many words it is, or I want to know how many characters it is. BB edit is the simplest way I leave it running all the time. It's the simplest way for me to sort things, to count characters. It, it just counts characters automatically right at the bottom of the window. Boom. There it is. I see uh, the number of characters that my document is. It's awesome. And, I, you know, and if I want to sort things, 
I just paste it in there and I highlight the text I want to sort and I choose sort lines and it just sorts them. Super simple. The best part is BB edit is a text editor. It only deals with raw text. So you can take an email that you got that has all kinds of flashing and forwarding and bold and you know, all kinds of stuff and you paste it in and now it's just text, which is super handy, especially if I want to copy some text from a web page and put it into an email, but I don't want the email to turn into some formatting disaster where every time I hit return, I get some weird thing. You've all seen that, right? Where you copy something from a web page and you've inherited some wonky style that you can't manage anymore and it sucks. Well, what I do now is I copy from the web page, I put it into BB Edit. And then I copy out of BB edit and paste into my email. And now it's just plain old text and it's super, super simple. It's great for pasting stuff from web pages into word documents too. Uh, it, you know, that, that, that side of BB edit is probably the thing I use 50% of the time is just managing text and managing the text flow. But that's not to say that BB edit isn't also awesome. If you have to write some code and not just, C++ code, which it will do, or Java code, which it will do, uh, or JavaScript code, right? Or CSS for your web page, or HTML for your web page. Maybe yet it's smart enough. And again, they've been developing this thing for literally decades. Uh, it senses what type of code you're writing and starts showing, doing some visual formatting just to make coding easier right there on the screen. It'll do this with any language I've thrown at it. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure it's got every language in there. It wouldn't surprise me if they already have Swift, though. I, they haven't announced that yet. Uh, I don't think. Maybe they haven't. I missed it. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, they, it just, it knows and it's smart. It's also awesome if you've got your web page saved to, to an FTP server. It interfaces directly with FTP servers, just like they are uh, folders on your Mac. So you tell it, I want to open from an FTP server to ask you for your credentials, which you can save in there if you want to make life simpler. And then you navigate the, the folder structure on the FTP server, open the file you want. Now you're editing the file. Great. It's in there. No problem. You hit command S to save. It saves it back out to the FTP server, just like it would if it were a local document. So check this out. Barebones.com. Make sure you tell them we sent you. You can get a free trial of BB Edit right there on the website, which I highly recommend you do. And then when you're ready to buy, you can buy directly from them. The price is the same. It's 50 bucks, or you can buy from the App Store, uh, from the Mac App Store. So check it out. Barebones.com. BB Edit is, uh, is what you're looking for. And, and make sure you tell them we sent you. They are, they are good folks. They've been sponsoring the show for a long time. We certainly appreciate their support. All right, John. Shall we get to the, uh, the questions that we... So lovingly handcrafted and prepared. Uh, and even the answers, I think. Well, that's, that's pushing it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Sandy wrote in and Sandy has set up Plex on one of her Macs. And she wants to be able to access Plex from the outside world, which you can do. And in fact, it's totally built to do this. Uh, and it's great because you can uh, put the Plex client on your, you know, the Plex app rather on your iPad and you can download your movies to it. And you can do this at home or you can do it on the road if you have the bandwidth, which I, I do it all the time. I've talked about it on the show and that's, I think, where, where Sandy heard about it from. So she set it all up and she could access it from home. But when she went to access it from remote or when she even went to configure it, which you do on Plex's website, Plex's web server said, 
we can't connect to your, we don't see your Plex server. So it's probably not going to work. And sure enough, it wasn't going to work. So Sandy wrote in, why is it not now? It's it. And, and there were some instructions on the, on the website that said you have to, um, you have to configure your firewall. Sandy's using an Apple router. Uh, what Plex does is it uses something, uh, one of two protocols, either UPnP or NAT PMP uh, to tell the router, hey, any incoming connections that come in on this port, send them to me, right? Your router at home is gets one address and appears your entire home network, on, in, and this is in most cases. Some of you might have geekier setups, and, and of course, this, then this wouldn't necessarily be true. But even for us here um, at my home office, and, and John, I think you're the same way, we get one address from our ISP, our cable companies in, this, in these cases. And that address is what we appear to be to the world. The problem is when you want an incoming connection, you need, it, it doesn't know, your router doesn't know what to do with it. If the, you know, you might have 10 computers or, or 10 devices or maybe even 20 devices, right? One of them being your iPad, etc., on your internal network. But to the outside world, they appear as one address, the one address that your router gets from your cable modem. And so when a connection comes in, the router needs to know where to, where to send it or to ignore it. And so what, what these protocols, either UPnP, which is universal plug and play or NAT PMP, which is network address translation port mapping protocol. If I'm pulling that out of thin air, just right. Uh, what they do is allow the computers on the inside of the network to automatically tell the router, Hey, when you get a connection in on this port, send it directly to me. Apple, and many vendors, actually, because this could be a security issue, right? If you've got a, uh, a a virus on your machine and it starts telling your router to forward all requests to it, it could be a problem. So as a security measure, most, many, not, I don't even know if it's most, but many router vendors, Apple included, do not enable this functionality by default, um, at least on most of their routers. So you, can, you have to turn it on. You can also manually map the port. Um, and portforward.com is a great website to go to to teach you how to map a given port for a given service with a given router. You kind of plug in those three variables and it will tell you, okay, here's the steps. And it'll even give you screenshots in a lot of cases. Uh, but sim- more simply, if you, if you trust that your network is at least relatively secure, is to go in and enable NAT PMP, which is what Apple uses, or UPnP, which is what most other routers use. Um, it's a Microsoft protocol, I think. Uh, on your router, on Apple routers, the way you do that is you go to airport utility, you go to network, you choose your router, uh, then you go to network, you go to network options, uh, and or click the, the button rather that says network options, and then check the box that says enable NAT port mapping protocol. Uh, and then you got to hit apply and it'll reboot your router because that's how Apple routers work. And then that should make it work. Uh, that's the easy way to do it. If you want a more robust standard way, uh, or not standard. If you want a more robust way that will work, even if NAT PMP fails, then you go to port forward and, and figure out what service it is. I don't want to go through all the steps here because it's different for every router, but, um, but that's how it works. So there you go. Yeah. Did I get that and right? That's on John? the same screen. Um, yeah. And, and you'll see that on the same screen there. So instead of clicking network options, you'll see something on the same airport screen under the network tab called port settings. That's where you would set up your port forwarding rules. Well, as yeah, but pointed out it's a it, it it can be 
Well, it's, it's kind of tedious. It's tedious because before you do that, you then need to set a DHCP reservation so that the machine you're sending the data to always gets the same address. It, it gets tedious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, Dave, you may be asking yourself, what if I wanted to add rules to my router um, using one of these protocols? How, how could I possibly do this? Go. Yes. Have you been asking yourself this? <laughs> um, I have, in fact. Yes. <laughs> Well, there is one way, um, and there is a, a, a program, uh, which we've mentioned in the past, uh, but, you know, I fired it up recently, just check it out, and uh, it still seems to do uh, what it does, and it's called PortMap from Coding Monkeys, and everybody loves monkeys. Um, Haven't you always wanted a monkey? Uh, you know, I've been reading up on them. There, there are some that y- you really don't want. Okay. They're cute and adorable in movies, but... Uh, they can wreak havoc. So you got to be careful when you choose your monkey. But, um, but this program will let you, um, similar to how other programs do this, will let you apply um, port map rules using uh, the protocols that we mentioned. Using UPnP or NAPPNP. Correct. Oh, that's awesome. I'd totally forgotten about port map. That's great. Oh. I don't think it lets you read them because I think that's actually part of... I think that's part of the way of how these things work is that you can't necessarily read the rules. Okay. You can certainly write them right. using this program. Right. So. Right. Ah, pretty cool. I like it. Good stuff. All right, John, what else you got? What else do I got? Oh, well, I guess we're going to be moving on then, right? Sure. Well, we could move on to Floris. I'm going to mention one thing here about Floris. Well, first I'm going to mention is that, so we're, so this is a great lead in Dave. So, um, Floris had a question about back to my Mac. All but right. Thing, well, I'll throw it in at the end here. Okay. But, um, let me bring it up. Sorry. Sorry. I'm trying to do too many things here. One yeah, second. I know it's that new keyboard. It's throwing you off, isn't it? Well, it's not doing one thing that I expected it to. Uh, huh. something in the chat room and, uh, must have hit the wrong key. All right. Hi, John and Dave. You helped me before with your show. I'm certain you will do the same now. I have a G5 and a new Mac Pro at work. Both are on the same network. Both have the latest Mavericks. Really? A G5? Awesome. (sighs) Okay. Oh, that's why it didn't work. Okay. The chat server just came and said, I recognize you again. Okay. I think I was disconnected. Anyways, sorry. It's a fresh install of Mavericks (laughs) on the new Mac Pro. Don't look out the window and see the squirrel, John. Uh, I hope I don't see it out my second story window here. All right, but basically, here's the problem. So one machine can connect back to my Mac, and one doesn't. Okay. I think I can summarize that. Um, and the, the, the way Floris would see this is that if you go to System Preferences, and then you go to um, iCloud, there's going to be an entry uh, pretty far down uh, called Back to My Mac. And what yeah. happened is when she checked the box on, on one of her machines, it would come up and say, uh, can't connect to iCloud. Really? Yeah. Huh. And that, that's a valid error message. And I, and I think there's even a screenshot here. Yeah, there was a screenshot. So it says, uh, can't, can't connect to iCloud, I think was the error. Okay. It's like, mm-hmm. huh. And she tried all sorts of things. Oh my gosh, I think she tried just about everything. Reset the router, reinstalled Mavericks, reset the iCloud account by signing out and in again, deleted the Apple ID, 
re-enabled it, deleted iCloud preferences, deleted the iCloud back to my Mac passwords in the keychain, which actually wow. that's where I thought the problem was. Created a new admin account, used Wi-Fi only and or Ethernet only because both interfaces were on this machine. Yet nothing. Nada. It's like, wow. Huh. So it sounds to me like Flores tried almost everything that you and I would try, Dave. I mean, that, 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 so excellent work there and that you... <laughs> That was everything that I would have tried. Yeah. But then I did some detective work here. So the thing is, um, Flores did include um, uh, some uh, console output. Okay. And so I saw two things. So one, I had one suggestion. It didn't turn out to be it, but it could be something that you would like to do. So one problem was uh, in the console, I saw it battling with... um, Battling with MDNS Responder, and it kept failing on that and failing on that. And to me, if you're having problems with DNS Responder, so DNS, of course, being domain name service, which is how your Mac translates IP addresses to names. And if that isn't working, that could explain why you're not connecting to the iCloud server, because it just can't find it. So I'm like, just to, to add some clarity, MDNS Responder is the process that OS 10 uses to manage Bonjour and, and basically nothing else. So it's, it's not what it uses to manage DNS lookups. It's what it uses to manage uh, multicast or uh, unicast DNS, which is what it uses for Bonjour. Ah, all right. Just so you know. Okay. But seeing that, I said, well, you know what? Maybe it's a DNS cache issue. Okay. Sure. Yep. Uh, and there is a way to deal with DNS cache issues. So, you know, cache is something which is, a, you know, data that is saved. Rather than performing an action again, a cache is, is data that is saved. Um, but sometimes caches can get corrupt. So how do you clear out a uh, corrupt DNS cache, you may ask? And Apple actually has a support article that talks all about this. And it's actually a terminal command that will do that. So I, Because the thing is, this is why I, I thought there was the mapping there, Dave. Because, sure. Uh, actually, the command uh, is sudo space kill all space dash capital H capital U capital P space M DNS responder. Oh, that's why I made that link there. Interesting. All right. So I think M DNS responder does more than just the bonjour thing or maybe not, but, but, but killing according it to the article, I found flushes the cash. Huh? All right. So I suggested that. Well, that didn't do it, but okay. But right, it's something well. worth knowing, and that if you're having DNS issues, uh, it can't hurt, and we have a link to the support article there. But then I found another article, Dave, which I found very interesting, and it kind of led us to the path of what did work. And so there was a discussion thread uh, on the Apple discussions saying, back to my Mac, iCloud server not responding. I was like, oh, well, okay, well, that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the error message we were getting. Yeah, it was iCloud server not responding. I was like, huh. And so one person came up with a solution for dealing with that problem. And they said, well, you know what? I had this problem because I, in the past, had installed something from Apple called Broadband Tuner. Oh, that's it. Oh, yeah. Man. Well, indirectly. So it was not Broadband Tuner because Flores had not installed Broadband Tuner. Okay. But it did lead us down the path of the solution. So uh, here's that discussion thread. But... The discussion thread did say, oh, by the way, you know what? There's this file called slash etc slash sys, 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 dot conf. 
Yeah, oh yeah. Which is what Broadband Tuner uh, creates or modifies. And yep. what that file is, is tweaks to the TCP IP, low level TCP IP parameters. In the case of Broadband Tuner, I guess it would, you know, set things up to be more efficient if you're on a broadband connection. But um, as it turns out, this suggestion worked. I said, well, you know what? If you, if you have an etc slash syscontrol.conf, whack it. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. can I slow down there? Because sure. syscontrol.conf isn't just for uh, tuning broadband stuff. It, you're right. It's where you would do that so that it happens at boot. Um, you can do all these things just uh, in real time from the, the terminal. But if you want them to happen persistently, you store them in syscontrol or cctl.com. However, that doesn't just tune network related stuff. It allows you to tune kernel parameters, which is basically system wide stuff. So if you if you're going to whack that file, make sure you know what's inside it and what you're deleting uh, and you can look at it the, the easiest way to look at it is to go to the terminal and just type more uh, M O R E uh, slash Etsy slash sysctl dot conf. And um, and if the file's there, it'll show you the, the contents and then you can delete it. If, if you're sure that what you're deleting is not um, something you need for something else, most Macs do not have this file and do not need it. So your advice in probably 99.9% of the cases is sound, but, whacking sysctl.conf on a machine that has some other parameter kernel parameter tuned for some other reason would be potentially um a bad got thing. it that's all now in this case that was uh, we were within the 99 percent. yes right because the thing was this file was there the file was moved everything started working great yeah yeah well and that's the thing is you can really muck up a system by either tuning or not tuning kernel parameters yeah i mean if it yeah uh, which is why I always hated that Apple broadband tuner uh, thing. It just seemed like such a bad idea. Um, yeah. But yeah. since the file existed, something else had created that. Um, well, or she ran broad, he or she, I'm not sure if Flores is male or female. Do you know it? Uh, I'm just assuming female. Okay. Uh, if she had run, so my apologies. Yeah. If she had run, um, uh, uh, broadband tuner or even right. These commands are, 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 you could, you could put these three lines and we'll put a, you've already put a link, I think to broadband tuner, but uh, we'll make sure it's there. You can add these three lines to, to CCTL manually. That's it, all it did. So it's possible that at some point in time, she had seen a website that said to improve your uh, TCP performance, go ahead and add these to CCTL and reboot and, and then did that without actually ever running broadband tuner. I mean, right. There's lots of, reasons it could be mucked with so right it's pretty good i want to mention a a couple of other things so one the way you put the agenda together i want to mention another uh possible solution to uh back to my mac or icloud issues and again this is due to a wonderful apple support article and it's called os 10 back to my mac requires airport base station or upnp capable third-party router it does I'm just going to link that in here. So per Dave's uh, instructions uh, earlier, if you want to use back to my Mac, you better have this feature enabled on your router, right? Apple or otherwise, or it's not going to work right. What's interesting, John, is when you said um, go to iCloud and, and enable back to my Mac, uh, 
on this machine. And I don't, I honestly don't remember if it was enabled before, but, but certainly after my rebuild of my pseudo rebuild of, of this machine, uh, it is, it was not enabled. So I, I checked the box and it, it, it churned for a little bit. And then, uh, in gray, just below back to my Mac, it let me check the box. It stayed checked, but it says set up router for better performance. So I thought, okay, so I hit details and it says back to my Mac may be slow because NAT port mapping protocol or universal plug and play is turned off on your router. And so I looked and my router in fact shows that they are both not only on, but working and other apps on uh, my router shows me all the UPnP entries because I'm geeky and I like to see that. And that's what that DDWRT firmware, uh, one of the things that affords me is I can see all those. And I can see many of them pointing to this machine, but I don't think I see one for back to my Mac pointing to this machine. So I'm not sure what it's, uh, what it's damage is, but maybe, it, maybe I have back to my Mac enabled on, on uh, either on too many Macs on my network. You know what I mean? And, and so it's, it's saying, yeah, we, we can't, you know, we can't help you there. I don't know. What's your damage? What's your damage? That's right. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that for a while. Okay. And finally, um, if you do want to muck around with the low-level settings of the TCP/IP stack, as as we mentioned, um, there is the uh, etc sys uh, sys uh, uh, Now, if you want to get down and dirty, I did found find a rather well-written article that will tell you everything you wanted to know about uh, setting all of these low-level parameters. Um, I personally. Just let the system figure it out, and it's usually pretty good here. But um, it's called Performance. Uh, it, it, it's at Rolande's Ramblings. I don't know if I got your name right there, my friend. But uh, and the article is called uh, Performance Tuning the Network Stack on Mac OS X. And it goes into detail about some of the settings that are in this file. And it even has an update. Um, so the initial one deals with, I guess, 10.6. Uh, but uh, the, there's a link uh, within that article that links to uh, the parameters under OS X Mavericks okay. 10.9. So, if you want to muck with that, but I personally, you know, I've, I've never touched that file, Dave. I've never felt a need to. Sure. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. I, I mess with it all the time. But I, but, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, again, you have to remember that uh, for the last 15 years and certain more so in the past than, than recently, because we've um, I've hired people to, to manage our servers. But, you know, when we started TMO and, and backbeat, I was, I built and, and managed all of our servers. So it, you know, tuning network parameters uh, is something you wind up doing when you've got high traffic stuff and, and all that good stuff. And, and you've got to increase the number of, in fact, on this machine, just the other day I was messing with it because I thought maybe the reason I was getting these skips was because I didn't have the number. I didn't have enough open files allowed by the kernel. And maybe, you know, there was something about uh, something was being inefficient and opening up lots of sockets or, or files. And, and so I was, I was messing with it. Yeah. Sorry. But it's just where I, I think to go. It didn't help by the way. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the worst that I do, the, the only thing that I do to customize my setup, Dave, is that I'll set my MTU to 9000. Yeah, I'm still not convinced that's a good idea, but um, with today's Internet, but um, because it because it doesn't just muck with your local stuff, it mucks with how you talk to the outside world. And and I, I, I still think it's just bad, but and I and it doesn't really offer any I've never seen it offer enough 
um, um, or any local. When I've done my own boost. testing on my local network, it, I was able to squeak a couple of percent more performance. Or maybe I was just imagining that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in theory, jumbo packets uh, on gigabit Ethernet are, are good. But, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Jumbo frames, you mean? Right. The jumbo frames. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dorothy posted an interesting question to uh, the NoSillaCast group on Google Plus. And, uh, and so I wanted to tell, talk about it here. She says that uh, we installed an Apple TV on our boat, thinking it would be cool to use a local iTunes library located on my husband's Windows 7 laptop and not have stacks of DVDs everywhere. We have a mini LAN on the boat and use it to connect all our iThings, including the Apple TV. My husband spent hours ripping our home DVDs and importing them into iTunes. We had weeks of viewing material enough for any length of voyage. But on our last trip, we had a terrible time getting the Apple TV to show anything. It kept stopping whatever we were watching and displaying the error message. Please turn on home sharing and we could please either fix that or reconfigure to another computer. The land connection was still good, but the home sharing connection to iTunes was dropping. The, uh, on, this only seemed to happen when there was no Internet connection. Well, of course, we don't have any Internet connection on the boat. Uh, we are at sea. We could get it going by resetting the Apple TV and restarting the movie, but it got really annoying to have the movie interrupted all the time. And what was weird was that sometimes it would go a couple of hours and sometimes it would stop every two minutes. We checked the router and the Windows firewall and there were no problems there. Uh, we'd already found that the Apple TV would not play any iTunes purchased material without Internet access either. I guess it needs to check that we really have purchased the movie. But all the video material we were trying to play were home movies that we ripped ourselves. So my question is, why does the Apple TV need internet access to just play a movie? What's with the home sharing error and how can we configure it not to do that? Uh, we are so ready to toss this little black hockey puck overboard. It's walking the plank, man. That's what's happened with it. Um, so my guess uh, on this is that, this is an unintended side effect of Apple's home sharing in, in that home sharing at some interval needs to connect back to Apple and ensure that no more than the, that the computer that you're on is still uh, uh, registered for your home sharing network because there's a limit to the number of computers you can have and you can reset that at any time. And so to keep everybody happy and to keep everybody honest uh, at some point in time, both the computer and the Apple TV uh, would need to go back and check in with Apple and make sure that that computer and that Apple TV are still part of the same home sharing network. And my, my feeling is that Apple made an assumption that because the Apple TV these days is, is really a, a streaming device that you probably wouldn't have it without an internet connection. Um, it, 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 it's a, it's not a great assumption and, and, but I, I understand why they would have made that, um, albeit incorrectly. Uh, so the question is whether this completely stops the Apple TV from working at all, or if it only stops home sharing from working. And the way to test that would be to stream directly from a device to the Apple TV using AirPlay, not home sharing. Two different things. It results in the same deal, but one is a one is pushing from the device. The other is, is pulling from it. So um, Windows, of course, doesn't natively support AirPlay. So the best way to test this would be to do it from an Apple device that does natively support AirPlay. And that can be an iPhone or iPhone or an iPad or uh, a MacBook. Check it for a full length movie 
uh, same way and make sure that works. If it does, then you can add AirPlay to Windows. Uh, it's 10 bucks. So, if, I mean, if you got to pay 10 bucks to do this test, maybe that's not so bad, right? Um, but uh, the folks uh, at Squirrel Software, or I guess they're just called Squirrels. I don't know. It, they make something called AirParrot, and that makes Apple TV, or, sorry, that makes AirPlay work on Windows. So that is, uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But, uh, but an interesting one, nonetheless. Yeah. And AirParrot okay, will so work was, on Macs that won't. AirParrot will also work on Macs at, that won't support AirPlay natively, like older Macs. Uh, I think, like like you have, John, uh, the, and I think this one too wouldn't necessarily support it for video. Um, AirParrot works for that, but it but it's Windows as well. So, go ahead. Good one. Yeah. No. So so the thought was, oh, it's you know phoning home to make sure I'm not playing you know bad movies. Right. I was phoning home for another reason. Or yeah, it was it was doing a different sort of DRM verification. Yeah. Huh, nice work. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it, I mean, it, it, it sounds reasonable, doesn't it? it sounds, you know, it's, it's, it has truthiness, uh, all about it. My answer, doesn't it? Which is, yeah. which is good. DRM. Just, guys, yeah. Stop. All right. While we're on the movies thing, we'll stay on the movies thing for a little bit and, uh, and we'll talk, uh, to Louie. Louie writes, uh, I'm having a few issues on my Mac mini that I use as a media server on my main TV. Nothing major, an OS dialogue popping up on Plex, my Synology drive disconnecting because of an update, etc. Of course, when it happens to my wife, who is not so Mac inclined, then I feel frustration directed at me. And that's the key, right? For us geeks, um, we can deal with the headaches, but nothing is more frustrating than when something's supposed to work, especially in the entertainment uh, setup of the house. And the rest of the family can't make it work. Uh, and that that's really where where this stuff gets important. It's also nice for us geeks not to have to geek out when we just want to watch uh, a movie. So, as Louis says, since I already have an Apple TV connected to my main TV via Ethernet, and since I only use my Mac Mini to run Plex and play media stored on my Synology disk station... I'm thinking of installing Plex server on Synology and simply use the Plex app on my iPad to stream content to my main TV via Apple TV. My question is, would I lose image or sound quality because I'm using an iPad to stream, or is the Plex app and Plex server smart enough to send the stream from the Synology disk station direct to my Apple TV via Ethernet? Most of my media content is 720p, and I would hate to lose any quality. So uh, staying in the Plex world for a moment, you probably won't lose any quality doing this. It's part of what AirPlay is built to do, and it works quite well. Um, obviously, if you have some bandwidth constraints, you know you are you when you play media with Plex, it is using AirPlay, which means the the uh, signal is or the the movie is going to go from your disk station or your your Plex server, which uh, would be your disk station, to your iPad and then from your iPad to your Apple TV. So you're bouncing the, the movie. It's using battery. It's using a little bit of CPU on your iPad, but most importantly, it's using bandwidth. Uh, and it's, you know, since your iPad has one network connection, it's going to be sharing that. So assuming you've got enough bandwidth to do it, then yes, it will work just fine. But there is a much better solution, especially if you have a disc station uh, in your mix. Go ahead and install Plex. That's fine. But also install and enable Synology's own video station. That's their uh, movie-focused media server. 
And then for your iPad or your, even your iPhone, it doesn't matter at this point. Here is work on Android phones too. You get an app called DS video. That's the app that lets your iPhone or iPad interface with video station on the Synology, but it gets cool. Now you can run it the same way. You can play a movie and bounce it via your device, uh, you know, using airplay the same way you could with Plex uh, with all the same restrictions, uh, possible restrictions, or, and this is where Synology has done some magic. You can use the DS video app or simply a web browser on your Mac. You don't even need an iDevice to do this, to start playing a movie and point it at the Apple TV directly from the Synology. And I don't know how app, uh, how Synology has done this. They've gotten around whatever Apple has chosen to uh, make it difficult to, to do this. But once you start the movie from your iPhone or iPad, or again, even just your Mac's web browser, the movie is now playing as you wanted directly from the disk station to your Apple TV. You can turn off your iPhone. You can throw it in a lake if you want. I don't recommend that. But it is not needed for this, and then you can even use the Apple TV's remote control to play and pause, to you know pause and play and fast forward and rewind and all of that. It is directly going from one to the other, which is awesome, and it works great. We do it all the time. It's it's the way we wind up playing movies at home because it's just simpler, and that's the key. So hopefully that works for you, Louie, and hopefully it works for uh, anybody else out there that that's got a Synology. Um, I think QNAP might even be able to do this too. So there you go. Have you messed with that, John? Absolutely. Mm. And one thing I like about video station. Yeah, you sound surprised. But um, one thing I do like about video station. So, so I have a few, um, you know, I don't have a lot of ripped movies, but I do have uh, some. And I do have video station set up. One cool thing is that the client. So I'm looking like right now. So, for example, I did a test rip of uh, being there, which I think is a quite a good comedy. Um. But when you see the title listed on the disk station, if you then click on it, it gives you a synopsis of the movie. Yeah. Which I think is kind of neat. It does. So Just like Plex, it goes out, it, it does. It goes out to a database and, and does its best guess at what the movie is and, and pulls down all the metadata and the, 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 the title image and all that good stuff. Yeah. So as a, uh, you know, a place to put all your videos and, and also you know, maybe remember some of the, the plot points or just what it's all about or the actors, you know, all the important uh, metadata about it. I think it's very cool, Dave. It is cool. Yeah. Oh, uh, what else we got here? Yeah. Um, so while we're on the subject of this, Andrew asks a good question that I really don't have a good answer for. Maybe you do. And, and maybe we've gotten some good answers. We, I also asked this question via our Google Plus group, which I highly recommend you check out. Uh, Google Plus, uh, plus.google.com slash plus Mac Geek will get you to our community. It's, it's a disaster. I got to put up a shorter link for that somewhere. I, I, will, I will make a link. If you go to macgeekgab.com slash Google Plus, uh, it will direct you there. It doesn't do that right now. I've got to put it on my to-do list, but hopefully by the time you hear this show. So you folks in the chat room at MacGeekGab.com slash stream, you won't hear, you won't be able to do that right now, but I will make it work because it should work. And that's the easiest way to get there. So I will do that. Uh, and if I don't, please remind me because I'm saying it in the middle of the show and I don't have my to-do list in front of me. Uh, but Andrew writes, I really enjoy the show. You've helped me improve my transition. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, I have a question regarding video management. 
I'm not talking about ripped commercial movies, iTunes downloads, or TV show subscriptions. Just plain old home movies, especially in their raw and unedited form. Like many others, I have adapted well to using iTunes for music management and iPhoto for digital photo management. These apps are effective and fairly intuitive ways to organize music and pictures for easy storage. Uh, just plug in the camera, iPhone, and download Rip the Music, and the app does almost all the rest. But what about home movies? iPhoto is okay for the occasional short smartphone clips, but not for the memory-hogging HD videos that really proliferate, pro, pro, ha, proliferated, easy for me to say, with the advent of good cheap cameras and big memory cards. iMovie is pitched on the Apple website as a manager of some sort, but it's clearly intended primarily for editing and projects. Its DAM qualities are relatively rudimentary. And not everything that we record on our myriad recording devices will necessarily become a project. Parents of young families such as myself know well that countless precious video moments will be recorded without being edited and refashioned into a Hollywood-esque creation. This might just be something cute that we'd like to save and watch later. That being said, iMovie was actually more intuitive. iMovie 9 was more intuitive and simple for managing than iMovie 10. So what does the average consumer do with this otherwise user-friendly Mac to tame that burgeoning mass of point-and-shoot video files? What is the most effective and simplest app or method of storing video files without loss of quality or metadata uh, and adding, being able to add tags and categorize, too? Is there an app for that or at least a good basic workflow? By far, my home videos make up the vast majority of data stored on my uh, one-terabyte hard drive, and it is ironically the least organized so thoughts folks i don't really have an answer for this john um and i'm in the same boat i mean i have videos that we take all the time those those short little clips and things but uh you know one one person mike on on google plus on that page uh says uh he uses dropbox camera uploads and hazel then on his mac to sort them into the correct folder um Andy uh, says he uses Plex to do it, which is something I got to mess with. Maybe there is something about Plex that can help me manage my home movies better. And Daniel says he uses PhotoSync to perform local sync over Wi-Fi to sync pictures and videos. And then uh, from there has some handmade scripts for resizing pictures and movies. It, you know, it sounds like there is a huge opportunity for someone here. And, and again, maybe Plex is, is the right way to do it. But um but we need something. Well, within the Apple universe, Dave, there always is um, iTunes. Yeah, but you're not categorizing I mean, you your... Can, I mean, you can store your movies in iTunes, right? Yeah, but, but how is I that going to... You can apply metadata to them. You can you know, add tags and things like that. I don't, I don't think it's the best yeah. interface. Yeah, and, and right. As a matter of fact, I think it's kind of... Yeah, it's kind of crappy. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that we mentioned, you know, we just touched on here is, uh, you know, Video Station. Yeah. Um, I've this, only used it for, you know, movies that I've ripped. I have not tried to take my own movies and apply to my own metadata to them. So that, uh, you know, that, that would be some extra work on your part to do that. But that could be another one. Um, yeah, I'll have to try Plex to see how that how that works out. I mean, another one is, um, mm. no, I mean, the reason I think iTunes is cause you can do home sharing with iTunes. So, so it's a, you know, candidate for, for sharing on your network. I mean, for just uh, 
cataloging your movies. I mean, something like even, you know, we had this come up before. I mean, Aperture can take movies, you know, raw movie content, and you can store it and, you know, put it in a project. As far as the sharing aspect, though, I don't know how, how good it is for that. So you may be able to, you know, at least organize them and tag them and things like that, and then, you know, shuffle them over to uh, iTunes as well. I'm, I'm starting to explore this more. I mean, I don't have a heck of a lot of data. Uh, you know, I'm just starting to explore this, and actually, I just started looking at this whole DLNA thing, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, DLNA is going to add more headache to the mix than less. Um. I mean, to take a little tangent, I'll, I'll talk about it more here. But the reason that I explored this was because I, got, I recently got this uh, new device here, which uh, will be offering DLNA support. But this is the, uh, the Heos 3 from Denon, which is basically a, a music solution. Right. And uh, the thing is, when I got it, I was all excited because, you know, the documentation said, uh, yeah, you know, you can take your, your music stored on the network. And, 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 you know, play through this speaker, which, uh, you know, it, it, it's on Wi-Fi. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So, you know, I fire it up. I install the software, the iOS program, and I bring it up. And I'm like, well, dude, where's my music? <laughs> because right now what I do is I use my Synology and I use the iTunes server to share my music. And I was kind of expecting it to see that share, but it didn't see it. And I'm like, well, that's disappointing. Then I looked at the documentation to answer my own question, Dave. Yeah. And it's like, oh, uh, that network support we were talking about, uh, DLNA support is coming in August. I'm like, ah. So number one, I was sharing it the wrong way in that it probably is never going to see an iTunes server. But then I'm like, oh, well, DLNA, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm willing to try new things and, you know, totally disrupt my, uh, my, my computing environment. All right, so, so slow down, slow down. I, I appreciate your opportunistic hijacking of our uh, thing here and and DLNA. I I I, I want to talk about Heos, but I'm going to put that on hold for a second and and finish this thought because how is DLNA going to help the people that want to share home movies? Well, I mean, what DLNA server are they going to use on their Macs and and does it allow categorization and all of? I mean, it, DLNA is a way to to share movies or to share media from one device to another in a streaming fashion. But is there, was there some client or so piece of software yes. that you were using that? Yes. Let me ask the question before you say yes, because I think the answer is no. Was there some DLNA piece of software that allowed you to categorize all of your data in such that it would answer Andrew's question? Or were you just mentioning DLNA to, uh, transition us to this other topic, which is fine because we may be done with the first one. I just want to know if we're done with the first one. I'm mentioning DLNA because I did set up a basic DLNA setup in preparation. So one in preparation for the Heos, but then number two, just to explore the technology. Sure. So but in order to explore that technology, what I had to do was install media server. Okay. And does it allow you right. to categorize your media and, 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 and all of that? I don't know that yet. Okay. So it may not be the answer to Andrew's question. That's just it where I was going. I just wanted to wrap it, that up. Public, but what it allows me to do is so it will let me share movies, music, and other things that are stored in the Synology. And, and you set up media server. And then the client that I used, and this surprised me. So, so I was which like, DLNA well, server are you using? I'm using media Synology's media server. Okay. 
So Media Server is one of the packages you can install, and that is a DLNA or UPnP. Is that Servio? Uh, is is that no, what that runs? Media, it's just called Media Server. Yeah, I know, but um, is it? Uh, keep going. I'll, I'll look and find out what 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 it's actually running because you might be able to run the same thing on your Mac. There's definitely a media. You can run Servio on your Mac. S e r v i i o. Um, okay. Yeah. If you want to run a, a uh, DLNA server on your Mac, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to it. It's an open source one. It's pretty good stuff. Actually. Okay. And maybe it's running that underneath, but basically yeah. what it does is it publishes. So, so on the Synology, you can have a movies directory, a music directory and other types of content. And then this media server publishes those using this DLNA or UPnP protocol. Now, oddly enough, the client that I found that um, <laughs> let me consume my content. Yeah. Now, I didn't look at the tagging all. I understand that's important, and uh, and I'll have to explore that. But VLC, oh yeah, VLC UPnP sources, yeah. So once I set that all up and I ran VLC on on my MacBook, it's like, oh well, there's the Synology thing. And uh, the only thing is that the beaconing and the communication it seems to be very sluggish sometimes. Like right now, I don't see it in my list of uh, UPnP devices. But yeah. VLC, I think, is a very basic. Uh, uh, UPnP browser, uh, DLNA browser. You mean? Well, the thing is UPnP I on the, I is the, the router UPnP. thing. What are you talking about? I'm talking about universal plug and play. Okay. All right, and and that's the other confusing thing here. So I'm looking at this, Dave. So I'm looking right now at the description of Media Server, and it claims that it will let Synology Disk Station be a DLNA slash UPnP home device i understand what you're saying yeah that's okay. also a protocol for configuring a router right 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 okay and i don't know why they use the same term here but in vlc there is a universal plug and play tab that will show you media sources on the local network oh okay so maybe okay so upnp can be used for more than just configuring routers okay that's i'd learn something new it's good stuff i'm just i'm just trying to manage the confusion flowing the thing here yeah, so I have to do more work with, with this uh, DLNA or UPnP thing using the Synology as the server and then VLC as the uh, client. It'd be nice if I could tag things, but again, I, I don't even see the server in my <laughs> window here. This is a good ongoing discussion because it looks like there's a lot of options. The uh, Synology, at least in my case, being uh, kind of the hub of it all. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you, well, you need some kind of a hub, be it a Mac with all your media on it or, or connected to all your media somehow or, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, this is, this is, it's a tough question to answer. There's, there's no question. There's no answer to it yet. No good one anyway. All right, so t- tell me about this, this Heos thing. So this is a, a wireless speaker in the, I, I don't want to say it's the same as Sonos because it's, it's not, but it, it seems to be something in that same realm. It's not, it's not a Bluetooth speaker. It actually uses Wi-Fi, right? Correct. Okay. And where does it play music from? How, how do you, how do, how do it work? And it, it's from we Denon, right? Mm-hmm. It's yes. from Denon. Okay. So a good, a, a trusted name in audio for sure. Right. And this is a market that the, you know, they had a launch event at, uh, at the recent, uh, uh, CE week. Yep. Um, and 
so, you know, anybody that showed up their event, they're like, well, we'll give you uh, the Heos 3, which is the entry-level unit. You know, okay. It's the smallest of, of the, the three. So they got the Heos 3, the 5, the 7, and, you know, functionally, they're all the same, though they have, you know, different, uh, you know, drivers and speaker sure. capabilities. Sure. Um, so the way it works is, you know, you get that, you get, you have to get an iOS app. I don't, I don't believe there's a, a Mac or a PC app at this point. Uh, so it's an iOS or an Android app. Okay. Um, Oddly enough, when you set it up, and this uh, I thought was kind of clever, but kind of is that I actually had to plug a cable into my iPhone, an audio cable, and then plug the other end into the speaker. I think it's it's doing a audio. Uh, it's 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 telling it which um, which uh, uh, Wi-Fi network to connect to. Wow! Through the audio setup, so that was kind of an interesting way to to configure it. Yeah, huh? That's pretty cool. Yeah, so I guess it looked at my device and assumed, okay, well, you're connected to this. Well, I'm going to tell the speaker to connect to that as well. And it, it certainly does. It actually shows up right now. So it shows up as living room if I look on my airport. So it shows up as living room, but that's okay. a one-time thing. And once you do that, and then the sources are as follows. So looking at the app here, so I can now play from Pandora, Spotify, Rhapsody, which I guess, you know, as far as the streaming music services, that's probably about the three biggest, right? Don't forget about Beats. Uh, yes, and, and I'm sure they're going to add support for that. But So this is their first cut. So Pandora, Spotify, Rhapsody, and then something I had not run into, Dave, and actually I kind of like being a radio type of guy. I still yeah. listen to the radio in the car. Yeah, People can you know, giggle at that. But uh, the other service they have is something called TuneIn. Hey, we're on TuneIn. No, seriously. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if we have, we, you can get all the, I mean, all the Mac Geekab episodes are on, on TuneIn. Yeah. Absolutely. Lots of podcasts are ending. Yeah. But, but the first thing that I saw when I signed into tune in, it said local radio. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Yeah. So it streams local radio because my other attempt at listening to my local radio station via my computing setup was to try to use my iPod nano. And that, that didn't work out that great. It's really tough to get the antenna on that thing set up. Right. Yeah. Get a good signal. Yeah. You just stream it. It's way easier. Yeah, so streaming, so streaming local radio stations is great. Um, so those, the, the, that's the initial set of services. But then I looked at w- what you had mentioned. The, uh, you know, how about, or what I had mentioned or expected was, well, how about playing my my own content? Right. And uh, again, at this point, so it doesn't see iTunes. Um, okay. They will be offering in August DLNA support. Yuck. So once in August, they update their software to see. My Synology, which is sharing stuff using their media server, that I can play content from that. But in the meantime, I'm like, oh, but I want to play. I'm on my big iTunes collection. How can I possibly play it over this system? Well, the other thing you can do is you can plug a USB drive into this. So basically, I took all my music, copied my entire (laughs) iTunes music folder to uh, one of my USB flash drives, which uh, has to be formatted as FAT. 32 and not Mac. <laughs> right. Right. Cause the first device I had, I think was a, was a USB drive formatted for Mac. And I plugged that and I'm like, dude, I can't see my music. Right. So, um, put it on a flash drive and I wrote them a note about that. Yeah. They said, well, just plug in a USB device. And I'm like, uh, USB device. Cause it, when, when it didn't see it, I'm like, okay, it, HFS, it, has, yeah. it, it sees it. Right. It just right. has to be fat 32. So, um, <sighs> but then if I click on the local music tab, yeah. um, you know, it'll come up and say, okay, living room. And then it'll show artists, albums, genres. So quickly, once you plug in the drive uh, locally, 
it'll show you all your content categorized. So I guess it quickly indexes um, all of your content by, again, artist, album, genre, playlists. Yeah. Or you can browse <laughs> it directly. And then you, you uh, select, you know, whether it be a album or an artist or a single song and you add it to the queue and then it just queues it up. You, you don't need the program running. You can, once you queued it up, so there's some smarts in the speaker itself. And, uh, and then I have to try this too, but you can also have like a party mode. So I guess you can allow other people to join your network. So say you want to distribute the ability for people to set up uh, tunes to play. You can do that as well. And that was demonstrated to me. I still have to do it, but so you can, so wait, wait, let me, let me get this straight. You can play audio that's in the music app on your iPhone directly to this speaker. Is that, is that, is that, did I hear that right? Uh, Right now, what I'm doing is I'm playing audio that's on the USB drive connected oh. to the Heos. Okay. But you can also, another choice is this iPhone. So if you have music yeah. on the iPhone, you yes. can do that as well. Got it. But only music that's in, I'll ask this two ways, only music that's in the music app, i.e. you're not streaming to this via AirPlay from any other app. You're only doing it uh, from within the the Denon Heos app streaming what it can see as part of your music library. Is that, is that correct? Um, I, uh, on the drive that's connected to the Heos currently. Yes. I don't know about it stored on my phone because I don't have any music stored on this. Okay. All right. It's, it's probably that. Yeah. It, which is what Sonos does, right? Sonos lets you stream. Uh, and it's relatively new for Sonos, maybe in the last year that you can stream from your iPhone, but only music that's in the music app because third-party apps like the Sonos app and the Heos app can uh, request and you can grant them access to your phone's music library. Actually, I don't even think you have to grant them. I think they can just get access to it for, for read only for playback only. So, so, you know, this is an, and and to, to add to, to kind of flush out what else this thing can do. You were telling me before the show that it will also allow you to take two of these Heos units if you have to and set them up in a, a stereo pair if you if you want to do that. Is that correct? Uh, when I yeah, when I looked up the question yep. stereo pair and looked up on their support site, they claim yes, you you can do that. Okay, so I guess through the app you can say okay, this one's the right speaker, this one's the left speaker. So cool. So you know, this is the thing though. Um, I'm disappointed. In, in Denon and, and I'm disappointed in the, in the market. I'm a huge fan of Sonos. Um, and part of what makes me a huge fan is they, they sound great and they're easy to use. The other part of what makes me a huge fan is even with Heos out there from what you're telling me, I haven't checked it out. I really want to, um, there still is no one else in the market that does what Sonos does. And, and, and Heos seems to fall woefully short, right? The fact that, they rolled this thing out without being able to play your local library. It seems ridiculous to me over the network. Yes. Correct. I'll admit I was disappointed as well. Yeah. Again, when I looked in the documentation, they're like, okay, network support is coming. Yeah. But, but not the they, right they kind wanted... of network support. Even what they have planned yes. is stupid. It makes you set up a DLNA server. That's ridiculous to ask your users to set up a DLNA server is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Well, because for the average individual, that's uh, I right. think that's a, a tall order. Uh, it is. Uh, and you know. I would love it 
to be able to access my iTunes share well, like what? iTunes can. Now, I don't know if there's licensing or reverse engineering uh, involved. What, in it could do what, what Sonos does where you just, it, you, you turn on file sharing, which is at least a part of, you know, the OS as opposed to having to download mm-hmm. some open source BS to, to get it to work. And, and that's what Sonos does is it just connects to um, your, your, your iTunes, you know, you, you share your, your hard drive and you point it at it and you're good to go. And, and then that's that. And it works, I, you know, and, and the fact I, I like the fact that the Denon uh, connects to your existing wireless network, whereas Sonos creates its own wireless mesh. Now the setup of Sonos is super easy and doesn't require this, this, you know, hacked up modem via audio jack thing, which I, I have to admit I, for the geek in me loves that. That's pretty cool that they're doing like a modem connection over the, over the, uh, over the mm-hmm. speaker jack that that's that's actually really cool but um but the the and and i like the fact that the denon uses your existing wireless network because the sonos creates its own 2.4 gigahertz network which as you know certainly as we talked about last week uh adds yet another layer of contention right you can't have your wi-fi network and they you know they 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 jockey for channels and all that it would be great if the sonos could attach to mm-hmm. your existing wireless network and not create its own but um but the, you know, the setup is super easy. You turn on a device, you press a button on it and your phone says, you know, you launch the app on your phone, you press a button on the device and it says, okay, there it is. It just finds it. It's just magic. But you, but the Sonos requires you to plug at least one of your Sonos devices in via ethernet in order to, to bridge that uh, between your network and, and the mesh. So it'd be nice if, if Sonos could do that. Um, but otherwise, you know, and, and, and Bose too, they came out with their sound touch, which curiously they will not send to me, which I thought was really interesting um, that, you know, they, I told them I'm a you know big fan of Sonos and this, that, and the other thing. And, and they got really weird and they're like, yeah, uh, we don't have any review units for you. And listen, lots of people tell me they don't have review units for me. It's fine. I take no offense at that. I just find it interesting that, you know, somebody didn't want to send out one of these things. Um, Maybe I shouldn't have told them I was a big fan of Sonos and, and then maybe, maybe they would have sent it, but it, it, nobody seems to be doing this right. And it doesn't sound like Heos is there yet either. And even their future roadmap sounds like a freaking disaster. DLNA? Seriously? That's crazy. That's stupid. Hopefully well, they will, I'm, hopefully I'm, they will, they will gain some wisdom. Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, part of the thing, I mean, you know, anybody who was at their event, they basically said, here, we're going to give you one to, to give us feedback on. And I'm certainly going to give them feedback, Dave. Yeah. Cause well, I just, I, you know why I people do is, that. My initial, my initial, so the biggest disappointment to me is my initial introduction to this is that it didn't see the music that I already had stored on the network and yeah. was playing prior uh, previously. And I told them, you know, my current thing is, I have a Synology, I have iTunes server, and I play via AirPlay to an airport connected to my audio engines. And that's my current streaming music setup. Uh, impress me. Yeah. Show me what you guys can do different. Yeah. And, uh, well, to be fair, a lot of people, and my kids certainly fall into this category, uh, do not care about owning music. And my kids only play music from, uh, we're actually switching from Spotify to Beats uh, in the house here because Beats with AT&T allows me to do a family plan and Spotify doesn't. So we're switching from Spotify to beats, but they either play from Spotify or beats. They, that's the only place they play music from. They do not play from our local library unless they want to play like Beatles songs or something that, you know, aren't in, uh, in those, in those streaming services. But, um, 
it, you know, so maybe, maybe this attachment to the music we own is, is something that Heos doesn't care about, right. Or Denon doesn't care about with Heos. They're, they're targeting the, the, the younger audience that just streams and, and this point is moot. Yeah. But I don't know. I, you know, well, again, I had to go through the extra step and that I had to copy my entire music library, yeah. which uh, weighs in at about 30 gigs right now. And fortunately, huh? I, I have a flash drive that is large enough to ho- hold that. Right. And once I plugged it into the device itself, it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it was like, okay, there's my music. I just much prefer that it access it over the network yeah. on the server that it's stored on than me to have to make a copy of it and plug it into the device. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, when somebody does what, what Denon did and listen, it's smart marketing, find a group of press and give them all your products. If even, if you even get five of them to talk about it positively, that creates buzz, right? You know? And, uh, and so it's smart to just hand these things out like candy at, at events like that. But you know, you got to make sure you, and, and you weren't, obviously you got to make sure you're not being manipulated by the, the, Ooh, shiny. Yay. Cool. You know, but, but you weren't. That's good. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like this thing is bad. I, it sounds good, right? I mean, I assume it's coming from Denon. It's got to sound good. Oh, oh, it sounds wonderful. Yeah. 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 Um, no, yeah. I mean, the sound, I, I have no complaints. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's, uh, you know, definitely better than the radio in my, uh, you know, in my car. Sure. Things are, uh, you know, not overblown, you know, bassy, but not too bassy. Yeah. like that. I mean, uh, um, yeah, it sounded fine to me. Uh, you know, of course you can, you know, control the volume using the app and all that great stuff. You can pause. Um, hey, John, again, I want to talk would, about. I would summarize my, my biggest disappointment is it didn't see the music I have stored on my network. That, that is the yeah. biggest disappointment I had. Other than that, it's. And a, no beat a, support. No beat support. They got the. Come on. They'll put that in there. Come on. Yeah, I think yeah. they just wanted to get something out there. That See, but what's the point of that? It's not good. I want to talk about something I'm really stoked about, John. And that is actually our second sponsor for the show. Uh, and that's Harry's at Harry's.com. Harry's, you know, these are smart guys that started Harry's here. They uh, realized that it's, it's shaving equipment for men. Right. But it's a bore. It's normally a boring topic. Normally it's something that frankly kind of sucks to have to deal with because you go to the pharmacy and you buy, you know, whatever the stuff is that they have and the razors and the cream and you get something. But then, you know, you realize you spent like 25 or 30 bucks. And this is actually what happened to, to, um, uh, I think Andy was, was the, it's Jeff and Andy that started it. And I think it's what happened to Andy. He'd spent like 25 bucks and he felt like, you know, he was, he had to go to the drugstore and get all this stuff and it's crap. And he thought there has to be a better way. And in fact, there is. And that's what Harry's is. You go to Harry's website and you uh, use your coupon code for MGG to get five bucks off your first order. And, and you order a razor and they, they have all kinds of kits uh, that you can start with. They come with a razor and some extra uh, blades and, and some shave cream. First of all, the, the handle that is really a nice handle. It, it, you know, it's metal. It feels good in your hand, but these blades, it's a five blade setup. And I've never been a fan of the five blades until I tried the Harry's it's, I get a shave that's so smooth and close. My wife uh, tells me all the time. She said, we love the Harry stuff. My wife goes gaga over it because my face is so smooth after I shave with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I love about, and I, and so that's great, right? It, you know, happy wife, happy life. It's good stuff. Um, and it is a nice close shave. I, I can't get a close shave like that with anything else I've tried. 
But, uh, but the thing I really like from these guys is their shaving cream. It's, it, it's like, it's silky. I mean, it's truly, it, 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 it doesn't get overly lathery. It's really silky. I put it on. I, I just, I love like just, it's, I know it sounds weird, but I just love massaging this stuff into my face. It just feels so good in my hands and it feels good on my face. And then obviously keeps my skin real silky for, uh, for the shave, which is important when you've got, you know, five blades uh, going across it works really well. <clears throat> and these guys are smart. They totally understand that some of us have to shave every day. Uh, some of us have to shave every couple of days and some of us shave a couple of times a month. Right. I mean that, and I, I fall somewhere between group two and three there. Uh, and they set up, uh, you can set up a subscription with them, but, uh, you don't have to, it, it, it's not a one size fits all plan because one size doesn't fit all. Uh, in fact, one size doesn't even fit most. So they have, uh, they have three plans that they've set up. You can get, uh, this is for everybody that shaves. You can get uh, a package from them every two months. You can set up a plan to get a package every four months. You can set up a plan to get a package from them only every six months. And each package is 31 bucks. Uh, and it, you know, the, the way they built these packages, you get eight blades and two creams in two months uh, or, or however often you want to get it. Now, the first stuff that you get from them, you can actually get a plan, a, a set from them with a couple of blades a handle and a, a tube of this awesome shave cream. It's 15 bucks. And again, you get five bucks off with the MGG coupon. So for 10 bucks, you are set up with Harry's and you do not have to sign up for a plan ever. You can just buy refills whenever you want. You, they set up the plans to make life simpler for you. And if you don't like any of the plans I just mentioned, you build your own plan. You set it up. Maybe you want it to come every five months. Maybe you want it to come every eight months, maybe every 12 you, you can do that or you can set up no plan whatsoever and just go to the website and have them send it to you on demand. So you got to check this out. This stuff is so nice. Uh, it, it really is. And for the, for the price, man, you just not, I can't find anything better. Certainly you can buy cheap stuff for a buck at the store, but the difference between what you're going to get for a buck and what you're going to get for 10 bucks with our deal is huge and is well worth. I mean, we're talking about a $9 difference here, you know, Go and get the good stuff from Harry's harrys.com. And, uh, and again, use our coupon code M G G because, uh, because that's, what's going to get you that five bucks off. And it, it also lets them know that what we're doing here works and that's a good thing. So check it out, please. Harry's.com coupon code M G G to get five bucks off. All right, John, I know we're running long here and I know my voice isn't holding out all that well, but, uh, but let's do a couple more. You, you, let's, let's take it to Andrew, would you please? And then, and then after we do Andrew, we'll run through a couple of quick tips that, uh, that we've found. Uh, but, uh, but I think your Andrew thing will be fun. So go. Yep. And Andrew asks an important question. Um, so he says, I'm a relatively new listener. Um, hi, thanks for listening. <laughs> As one is aspires to geekhood, I'm in awe of you guys. I also have a question. Thanks so much. Okay. <laughs> Let me get to the question. I also have a question regarding battery usage on my RMBP, which would be Retina MacBook Pro, late 2013. I read some confusing things about best practices for longevity of the battery in the MacBook Pro. One source says running it down and charging it up is the best thing to do. 
where most of the things I read say to leave it plugged in at all times where possible because of the limited number of cycles in the battery. I have the battery monitor app from the app store and recently got the following pop-up. Your computer is running on AC power for an extended period of time. The computer is operating, but the battery is not being used. This could reduce the lifetime of the battery cells. It is good practice to unplug, blah, blah, blah. I'm inclined to believe this since the battery monitor app um, is created by people that know what they're talking about. But with conflicting reports, I had to ask you, what do you think? What do you think? I'm going to tell you what I think. And I'm going to tell you what you think too, Dave, because I think we both think the same thing here. And uh, you actually convinced me of this, Dave. Um, Our experience has been, you want to beat on that battery as much as possible and that you want to keep things moving. Yeah. You never... So leaving it plugged in when the battery is already charged is, as you've seen with the program that you're running, a bad thing. Don't do that. Um, likewise, and, and I gave him another tip here. Likewise, the other thing you don't want to do is to let the battery run all the way down and leave it like that. Because last I heard, that can actually get you in a state where the battery will not. If you leave it like that for too long, the battery will be dead to the world or like mm. deep discharge or something like that. Yeah. So, you, so you don't want to, you want to avoid the two extremes. You don't want to run the battery all the way down and leave it like that for, for too long because it may never come back. And you don't want to leave it plugged in once it's fully charged. What you want to do is to basically either be charging it or discharging it. Um, now, recent advice that I have seen is that you do not want to um, is that you don't need to do a calibration step. Now, that was a step that was necessary, especially on the older machines like I still have with the removable battery. But my understanding is that you do not need to do that anymore, which would be you run it all the way down, you run it all the way up, and you run it all the way down again. And that calibrates the uh, chip on the battery to determine what the current capacity is. So... Now, the reason that I know that this works, Dave, um, and I actually gave a shout out to um, our friends that uh, run, uh, write another utility, which is, has taught me proper battery practice. And this kind of shocked me when I looked at it, Dave. Yes. <laughs> so I use fruit juice. That's uh, our friend, uh, is Jeff? Jeff? Jeff Lynch. Yeah, he's yes. the uh, chief programmer on that. He may be the only programmer. And he, I know he has a partner with Fruit Juice. I'm not sure exactly what the roles are, but Jeff is certainly a, if not the programmer. Great guy. Yeah, he, he, we actually had lunch when he was uh, in the neighborhood last. Sweet. And check this out. By following that advice, so what I have are two batteries right now. So I actually have the new power batteries from Newer that are 5,400 milliamp batteries, and I follow the advice. And actually, I'm looking right now. So check this out. Um. So I think Apple or in general, the, the industry acknowledges that a battery after 300 charge cycles, or at least for this class of battery that I have here, is that after 300 charge cycles, the battery should have at least 80% of its capacity if you treat it right. Now I'm looking at the battery right now, Dave, and this one that I have in the machine right now is at 1,021 of 300 charge cycles, and it has 84% of its original capacity. Go you! And you beat the heck out of that battery, don't you? I basically do, um, I charge it almost to, a, or, you know, or let it get to 100%, and then as soon as it's 100%, I pull the cord and I let it run, sometimes all the way down, sometimes not. Sure. Yeah, well, they, um, they, the, the rule, the general rule of thumb that I, I like to... Uh, echo here it, it adam christensen said it best is keep the electrons flowing either in or out but 
you know, keeping the battery in use and not in stasis is best. If you are going to keep the battery in stasis, uh, if you if, say you don't need to use your computer for a, an extended period of time, zero percent is really bad. In fact, you, you will likely come back and your battery will never be usable again. A hundred percent is not optimal, but is certainly better than zero. Sixty percent is what seems to be the experts recommendation on if you need to shelve a battery for, you know, a month long or months long periods. Sixty uh, percent is the magic number which is why batteries often ship at about 60% because it, they, they tend to do best when stored uh, for long periods without electrons moving at that. So I leave yep. you there. Yep. And I've even seen the same thing on, um, on iOS, which, uh, so they're all last I checked, all of these are using a uh, lithium ion battery technology, which right. I guess is the, the latest battery technology. Yep. And I think the general advice, and actually he had a follow up, and he said, uh, you know, thanks for, for that info. And, uh, um, I have one follow-up. Should I let it run down all the way to 10, 20% for recharging or keep it in the upper range, say greater than 50%? I think it doesn't matter. That. Yeah, it doesn't just, matter. Just keep things moving. And I think the thing that we we saw on the battery uh, utility on iOS is it kind of suggests the same thing is, okay, once you get below a certain threshold, you probably want to charge it. And once you get above a certain threshold, you can stop charging. Yeah. You don't have, I just, like to run it up to a hundred and run it down. But, um, you don't have to do that. Right. As we said, just keep things moving and you too can boast about a battery that has had a thousand charge cycles and is at 84%. Cause that just shocks me. Yeah. Nice. Work, I had man. an Apple battery where I was doing what you told me not to do, where I left it plugged in all the time. And I actually, it, it actually, uh, the Mac will come up and say, uh, service battery. If it, if, if you're not nice to it and actually they did replace them under Apple care even though it was kind of my fault, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, a couple of quick tips and, uh, and we'll run through um, one started out as a question. Leon asked about uh, USB three and uh, USB three ports through Thunderbolt following on to a conversation that we'd had in show 508 where we were speculating about, you know, what types of, uh, are these are the three USB ports on each of the three docks that we tested Belkin Caldigit and Elgato. Are they on separate buses? Are they on one USB three bus? And, uh, and he actually pointed out something else interesting to me. So I did a bunch of testing, John, and they are on a shared us. So there is a single USB three bus in each of those docks. Caldigit and Elgato are the same guts i swear to this uh they may come out and say not, not but I, I swear to it because it's the exactly the same it appears the same uh, they name them differently uh and they have a nice they have different layouts cal digits a little more industrial Bel belkins a little more you know streamlined so whatever works for your work environment they both look good um but uh it's it's, it's a shared bus so i had data transferring at full usb3 speeds uh thanks to some uh, 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 raid USB three. I have, I have anyway, we'll, we'll talk about other stuff later, but um, it, I had it going. I added a, a transfer for, to a second drive that was plugged in on that bus. And immediately uh, I saw the, the speed, you know, have and, or not have, but it, it started going down. So it's a shared bus on all of them um, happened with the El, El, Elgato and CalDigit uh, as well as the Belkin. Here's the difference though. Elgato and CalDigit, and and uh, and Jim over at 
Mac Geek Up Jim, Jim Tannis over at Tech Review uh, pointed this out too. But um, the Belkin uses something wonky that slows down USB 3 in their uh, in their bus. I got full USB 3s, full USB 3 speeds, full um, uh, transfer speeds and all of that with the Elgato slash CalDigit um, boxes. The Belkin box did not have full speed and uh, it was it was maybe half that. Uh, so it was a weird USB uh, uh three thing with the Belkin. I don't know why you only get half speed. I'll, I'll put a link to uh, Jim's review. He rev- it was his review of the Cal digit Thunderbolt station, but he talked about uh, how the, the Belkin was only giving him uh, the Belkin's USB three ports are limited to 2.5 gigabits per second. While Cal digit and Elgato get full five gigabits per second, which is uh, interesting. I don't know why Belkin has done this, but anyway, that's uh that's that. So there you go. That that's that's what I wanted to share. Uh, number two, we'll let Ralph share this all by himself again from Show Five Hundred Eight, where we were talking about using micro USB at, to lightning adapters uh, as perhaps the best way to get the lightning chip onto a cable. And that way, if the cable dies, you just replace the cheap micro USB cable, and you still have your lightning adapter. So take it away, Ralph. Hey guys, this is uh, Ralph in Las Vegas. Just listened to your latest podcast. You were talking about the lightning cables. Uh, one of the guys made a comment about micro USB can't do uh, HDMI video. That's not right. Um, I've got a HDMI to uh, micro USB to HDMI adapter I got from Mountain Place for like 12 bucks. I plug it into my Google Nexus 5 and I have full up 1080p HDMI audio and video. So that ain't the reason Apple's giving us the shaft. Anyways, thanks guys. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, uh, yeah, who knows what it is? It's, it's something about the lightning thing and maybe it doesn't, I don't have a HDMI lightning adapter to test this with, but, but, um, maybe it's time that I do. So we'll test that out. All right, John, uh, you want to share that, that the relevant part from show 508 about Russell's tip there for us quickly as we're burning through something else. Yeah. Great. Um, all right, so Russell says, during episode 507, you were talking about Mac overheating caused by dust acting as an insulator. While listening to your discussion of lightning cables, I had an epiphany regarding the charging problems I've been having with my iPhone 5. Um, and to kind of wrap it up here, I would say that it was lint, pocket lint. <laughs> um... Pocket lint, I guess, can also act as an insulator or interfere with conductivity. And his observation was that lightning cables can suffer from that as well. And we had at least two people write in warning of that. So it was it, it the um, the cable or was it the port? Oh, in his case, it's the socket. So I guess what okay. happens if you keep the if you keep the phone in in your pocket, which we all pocket, do, lint. Um, yeah, I would say most of us do, and most of us leave the port open. Well, you don't right. seal it. Oh, I, I suppose there are cases that seal sure. it. Sure, but yep. yeah, what was happening is I guess lint had accumulated in the in the socket, and uh, once he uh, once he cleaned it out, uh, he had much more reliable charging. So this could be an explanation of uh, you know people having these wacky problems where all of a sudden it says unauthorized or it starts charging and stops charging, and it's certainly worth checking. I mean, the, the crappy cables are are 
you know, the, the sorry, the non-certified cables are definitely a, probably the chief reason for that. But if you've got a decent cable, yeah, cleaning out the cleaning out the connector, good. Did you say you had yeah. another another tip too? Or he no? said he used a pin. I don't know if I'd Ooh. necessarily clean that with a pin. I'd, I'd probably use a toothpick. Using something non-conductive. Non-conductive. I don't, dig, I don't think I'd dig around with there with anything made of metal. dry toothpick. That's right. All right. So did you, then, yeah, go. Did you have something else or no? Yeah. Well, yes, I just wanted to offer. So, so this is a cable that I thought was kind of clever. Speaking of lightning cables here. So this is something that I, I received a sample of at the, the latest show here. And I think it's kind of clever. It's called charger leash. What is it? You may ask. And I'm going to tell you it is a, well, they make different charging cables here, but here's the key with this cable. Have you ever forgotten your cable, Dave? Oh, like unplugged your device from it and forgotten your cable. That's what this cable does. Well, it does oh. two things. So one, if you plug it in and it's charging something and then you remove the device that it's charging within five seconds, it's going to set off a rather loud audio alarm and also is going to blink the light from blue to a flashing red light. Okay. So two things. So one, if you're a scatterbrain and you leave behind your rather expensive lightning cables um, or maybe not so expensive, but if you leave your cable behind, it's going to tell you now you can shut it off. Uh, you know, but yeah. actually, you can just put your finger over the uh, the thing that emits the sound and then it'll shut it up. It'll still blink the red light. OK, um, but also if you're in an environment where, say, you're you know charging in a public location and you want to make sure that somebody doesn't run off with your uh, your, uh, you know, expensive uh, eye device or yeah. other devices. So it's not just lightning. It, it uh, I guess it's also a micro USB and, you know, other popular connectors. But I thought that was just kind of a clever. That's approach. clever. I like it. Sweet. All right. And one last thing, Allison. Uh, Sheridan from uh, NoSillacast from uh, podfeet.com. She wrote in a very interesting thing. She, in fact, she says, this is one of those to register in the backs of your brains in case anyone else comes across it. My uncle just bought his first Mac after being away from the platform for more than 10 years. He recently ran an update to the OS. And when it rebooted, all he got was a black screen and the cursor. He called Apple and they told him it was an anomaly on Apple's end with this particular update. According to what they told him to do, it looks like the login window P list file got corrupted. What they said to do was hold down command S to boot into single user mode. And at the prompt, enter the mount dash UW slash, which is the thing that uh, makes the, the volume writable. And it's listed right there uh, when you log in in single user mode. So you don't have to remember that. And then in the terminal change to uh, library preferences and then uh, remove or remove the com.apple.login.window.plist file. And that solved it for him. So this is, again, I, you know, she shared it with us and I figured I'd share it with you. It's just one of those things to keep in your head that if you reboot a Mac and it comes up black screen cursor, wow. uh, you know, remember that that login window P list file, you got to get there in single user mode is the easiest way you could boot with another Mac and mount the drive and all that stuff. But single user mode is, is the easiest cause you can do it with just one, that one Mac. And, uh, that will, that will get you there. So thank you, Allison, for, for sharing that. And thanks everybody for, for listening and, uh, and having fun with us and sharing all your tips with us. It's fun fun stuff that would make me panic dude i know that, that came up with a black screen I'd yeah be like, oh no now what yeah that's why i shared it that's you know <laughs> i'm gonna share something else dave go i'm gonna share with people how you can get in touch with us and one way you can get in touch with us to send us questions tips comments cookies <laughs> um or anything else you'd like to send us you could send an email to feedback at mackie 
That's feedback at MacGeekGab.com, John. Is that right? You said it, brother. That's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. But there's another address. And that's, we'll quickly mention, premium at MacGeekGab.com. MacGeekGab.com. Easy for you to say. You can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is... 4335. And we already mentioned our Google Plus page, so we will leave it at that. Do please visit us on Google Plus, and I will make it MacGeekGub.com slash Google Plus, and I will make it both ways so you don't have to remember to hit the plus sign or write it out. Either one is going to work for you. Uh, I would like to thank Michael Johnson. We would like to thank Michael Johnston. I know he did not have the opportunity to convert last week's show. We did it on a weird day, and it kind of mucked with his schedule. Uh, but he, uh, he says he's on back, back on board for this one. So he's the one that converts the show to AAC and adds all the chapters and stuff for us and for you. Uh, he is also the host of the iOS show, and I highly recommend you check it out. It's him, and usually he's got Adam Christensen and Jeff Gamut. Uh, on with him and it's a great show about ios so check that out also the folks from cashfly c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you and we thank them for that immensely barebones software harry's with the coupon code mgg smile at smilesoftware.com gazelle squarespace with the coupon code mgg for 10 percent off i fix it Linda, all through Backbeat Media Podcast Marketplace. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, John. Uh, do you have any? Uh, do you have any anything to share other than you know other than the obvious thing of uh, of saying that we got a motor to stick with the Heather's theme? Do you have anything? We got a motor, and if we got a motor, we got to move quickly. And if you're going to move quickly, make sure you don't get caught. Made up.